this week's edition of Reading Beijing, where we talk about the political and strategic implications of China's role in the Middle East and the wider world. I'm Bill Figueroa, your very own Bill in the China Shop, and today I'll be talking about emerging reports about China's efforts to block Iran from joining the BRICS organization. Yes, you heard me correctly, block, not assist. I'll put this news in the context of the larger story of Iran-China and China-Middle East relations, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about domestic criticism of Iran's Look East policy and the government's response to that criticism. So without further ado or any more pointless rambling, let's begin. Last week, news that Iran had joined the BRICS organization and concluded several deals with China was welcomed by supporters of the Islamic Republic's Look East policy. But new details have emerged that suggest that any celebrations may be premature. The recent avalanche of newly signed investment deals with Saudi Arabia has dwarfed any agreement with Iran, and China's appetite for foreign oil, an important part of the Iran-China relationship, is slowly showing signs of decline. Not only that, it appears that China may have been more interested in promoting Saudi Arabia as a new member of the BRICS organization, and even went as far as to briefly oppose the entry of Iran as a counterweight. As criticism of the Look East policy mounts amongst Iranian experts from across the political spectrum, it's apparent that Sino-Iranian relations will require a lot more attention to satisfy Tehran. The last month has seen several new agreements signed or under discussion between Iran and China, including an oil barter deal to develop the Imam Khomeini International Airport worth $2.7 million, which we discussed in last week's episode. Iran's largest auto manufacturer, IKCO, will also make up for shortfalls in domestic production by importing 6,000 electric vehicles from China's Dongfeng Motor this month, as part of larger efforts to add around 200,000 electric motorcycles and 50,000 electric cars to Tehran's municipal transportation system. There have also been talks of an accelerated visa agreement to facilitate Iranians acquiring visas to China, in order to facilitate business and tourism. Iran has already voluntarily abolished several requirements for Chinese tourists as part of a larger effort to promote Chinese tourism in the country. Everything's looking great on paper, but if you glance across the Gulf to Iran's neighbor and until recently main regional adversary, Saudi Arabia, and let's not get ahead of ourselves, I'm not so sure that that rivalry has completely gone away. But if you look at the recent agreements announced between Beijing and Riyadh, the problem from the Iranian perspective is pretty apparent. In the last few weeks alone, China's Huawei Corporation opened a major cloud data center in Saudi Arabia as part of a push to expand services in the Middle East at large. China's National Nuclear Corporation, CNNC, has also placed a bid to build a nuclear power plant. GCL Technology Holdings is in talk to build a major solar plant. And the Chinese bus manufacturer Yutong has exported a fleet of 87 buses to Saudi Arabia, just as a bit of insult to injury. Iran is not the only one buying large amounts of Chinese cars. In addition to these contracts, the Saudi-China Business Forum brokered $1.33 billion worth of housing investments, 
adding to the over $10 billion in various economic agreements signed a few months ago at the 10th Arab-China Business Conference. There's nothing even close to this level of investment when it comes to Iran. Now, viewed side by side, it's obvious that China is far more invested in, literally and figuratively, its relationship with Saudi Arabia than it is in its relationship with Iran. But what about last month's diplomatic success, the entry of Iran into BRICS, something that the New York Times cast as Iran throwing off its outcast status in the West? Well, according to Devidupa Mitra, a journalist in New Delhi, the internal debates tell a much different story. According to Mitra, China was the aggressively pushing the idea of adding additional members to BRICS, while other states, notably India, were more cautious. Once it had convinced the others to expand their ranks, the question of who would join then needed to be settled. China's original list of priority candidates included Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, Argentina, and Egypt. Iran was nowhere to be found. Once Indonesia withdrew, Saudi Arabia became the primary focus of China's lobbying. Iran's name was floated not by China, but by other states interested in adding a counterbalance to Saudi Arabia. Quoting the article, China had been the strongest advocate for Saudi Arabia that had also been vigorously lobbying for membership. But other members felt that there needed to be a regional balance. Moreover, Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi had been actively engaged in personal lobbying efforts with each member state, which made it diplomatically challenging to turn him down. In other words, it was actually the fact that Raisi was actively lobbying for this, rather than the fact that the Chinese wanted to add Iran, that was the deciding factor. Surprisingly, it was China that was most opposed to this proposition, likely due to the diplomatic pressure being exerted from Saudi Arabia. Again, quoting the article, quote, according to well-informed sources, China even raised questions about the necessity of expanding the group by incorporating numerous new entrants. At one time during the negotiations, Iran's candidacy made it almost seem like it was China versus the rest of the BRICS group, said a diplomatic source, end quote. Saudi Arabia also appeared quite irked that the UAE was set to join the group as well. Despite the diplomatic successes of the past year, namely the China-brokered Iran-Saudi peace agreement, it seems that Beijing continues to give additional weight to Saudi Arabia in its diplomatic considerations. Still, it ultimately acquiesced to Iran's entry into the organization and has continued to promote this as a positive development in terms of regional peace. But if this report is correct, it did so under pressure from other BRICS members and consistent lobbying on the part of Iran's government, making this a successful example, actually, of putting the Look East partnership in the service of Iran's international diplomatic policy on the part of Iran, uh, albeit one that points to deeper systemic problems in the Iran-China relationship. Underscoring all of this is the growing possibility that China's demand for foreign oil imports will decline in the years to come. According to Bloomberg Economic Forecasts, China's energy market is faltering, due to its overall decline in growth levels and its stuttering economy. Chinese sources seem to agree. The chief executive officer, uh, Zhou Xinhui of uh, CNOOC Limited, uh, one of China's top oil firms, said that demand growth will be curbed for the rest of the year and raised the prospect that it may have already peaked forever in China. 
A report by the National Energy Administration also suggested that the international oil market was facing, quote, weaker supply and demand, and China would be no exception to that. The report emphasizes that the production of oil by non-OPEC countries like Iran and Venezuela, quote, further aggravated the downward pressure on international oil prices. As China and the BRICS organization turned towards renewable energy, the future of China as a primary purchaser of Iranian oil may also come into doubt. All of this is coming in the context as well of a growing domestic criticism of the Look East policy within Iran, uh, which is increasingly being voiced by elites from across the political spectrum. And Tehab, a critical news website and one of the only Iranian outlets, I think actually the only Iranian outlet, to report on China's hesitation regarding Iran's entry into BRICS, has now been banned by the government for this reporting. Apparently, a video produced by the outlet was also found to undermine the foreign policy of the Raisi administration, which led to the ban. The video and the report, uh, which drew on the Wire article we just discussed, essentially raised doubts about the extensive publicity surrounding the Look East policy. But criticism is not limited to outlets like Entechab, which is often at odds with the government policy anyway. Earlier this month, a group of conservatives and supporters of the government came together to publicly criticize the lack of real progress on relations with China. Referencing his own sources in the government, Medzihar Atian of the Policy Revival Center, a conservative think tank, complained bitterly that, quote, we don't know anything about what China thinks or what we should do. When our Minister of Foreign Affairs sits in a meeting, he has to sit with hundreds of pages of material. In most strategic meetings, our official goes to Beijing empty-handed or with elementary and uncooked ideas. Mr. Raisi really went to Beijing without any acceptable high-level initiatives. Hamed Bafayi, a professor of Chinese literature at University of Tehran, put it even more bluntly. He said, quote, if you want to analyze China without knowing what the Chinese call Chinese socialism, it is impossible. Unfortunately, in Iran, we do not even have a single book or article about Chinese socialism. Vafai went on to decry the degree to which Iranian officials don't seem to understand their position vis-a-vis -vis China. Quote, many do not pay attention to the fact that now the main trading partner of China is the enemy of this country, meaning, of course, the United States, and that this is something that does not fit into the Iranian discourse. He also pointed out that unlike the Saudis, quote, for us, the volume of mutual investment is zero. Vafai closes with some historical flourish, claiming that China, quote, comes to us in the style of the Achaemenids, presenting a product and then leaving. For those of you who don't know, he's referring to the famed early Persian empire that was known for the practice of collecting tribute from the kings of various lands who would come and present gifts in order to ensure that they would basically be left to their own devices. In other words, he's saying that China is just showing up and giving some tribute to Iran, but not investing in a deeper relationship. That the so-called comprehensive strategic partnership is, quote, neither a partnership, nor comprehensive, nor strategic. I'm left wondering if he's feeling a little verklempt. Uh, that's a pretty old reference, but I think it still checks out. So this concludes our edition of Reading Beijing, where we talked about the political and strategic implications of China's role in the Middle East and the wider world. Reading Beijing is part of the Pursue Media Minutes podcast series, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Pursue Media Minutes offers podcasts of selected Pursue Media analyses on Iran, 
China and the MENA region. Pursue Media itself provides media research, open source intelligence, analysis, AI-driven analytics, and strategic communications consultancy. You can find out more about the services Pursue Media offers by checking out their website, PursueMedia.com, or finding them on LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, now X, under at Pursue Media. Until next time, my name is Bill Figueroa, your Bill in the China Shop, and this has been Reading Beijing. Thank you.